Good morning. Hey, way to, you know, open it up with no pressure there. Hey, did, did you guys happen to notice that uh, the, uh, the verse that we're memorizing this week is give thanks to him and bless his name? Isn't that divine providence, the week of Thanksgiving? How cool is that? Pretty neat how that works out. Boy, this place empties out when the kids leave. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Uh, I just want to say I am really pleased to be worshiping with you all this morning, even though I'm up here in this unusual location in the front. Um, and I appreciate everybody that's here uh, this morning. And I, I, uh, I want to start off, in all fairness, by setting your expectations quite low for the upcoming delivery. <laughs> you, uh, you are going to find that uh, I'm not nearly as well-researched as our pastor, Judd. And, uh, you know, he did offer some, some insight and direction, so I don't think it'll go completely off the rails. But uh, the other thing that I want to, you know, alert you to in advance is that the, the length of my message will be delivered in a shorter time frame than is customary for, for Judd. Now, for some of you, I predicted that that news of a, a short sermon might be well-received. So yeah, for you, whoever you are, I, I'm bolstered in this small degree of confidence that... Part of my audience was going to be pleased with me right from the outset. <laughs> let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to honor you today in every way. I want to thank you for each person who is present this morning. And I also want to pray for those who are absent. And I just ask that your healing hand would be with them, either physically or spiritually, whatever their need. I also pray that you would grant each of us a deep understanding of your word, and I pray that your message and your will would be heard this morning and that we would grow in being more like your son, Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. So we're going to be talking this morning about refreshing cold water and uh, rancid, polluted water. So if you'd like, turn to Proverbs 25 verses 25 and 26. And as Judd had, uh, had discussed earlier in one of our uh, studies, he gave us an assignment to choose a, a verse in Proverbs that contained a couplet. And a couplet is just a, a verse that has a metaphor or a simile, and it's a lot of Proverbs are like that. And he wanted us to build a sermon outline around that. And so I chose Proverbs 25, 26. And as I was attempting to build my outline for some strange reason, my eyes kept drifting back to verse 25. And uh, after several readings, it dawned on me that, oh, these, these two verses each contain an individual couplet, but together they form a couplet with this contrasting imagery of uh, clean water and dirty water. So let's read the, the, uh, the verse. Proverbs 25 and 25 and 26. Like cold water to a weary soul... So is good news from a distant land. Like a trampled spring in a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. So let's start off by examining verse 25 and what it might mean. Uh, this good news from a distant land is like cold water. So uh, going back to the time that this was written... They didn't have taps in their homes that were attached to water treatment centers and they could walk up 24-7 and turn on cold water. Uh, in fact, it was uh, quite hard to come by and 
clean water was viewed literally as a source of life. And so uh, at that time, you know, it was obviously um, very valuable. And this word cold would imply a good source of water. And so if they had a good source of water, that was most likely an underground spring, and they would build a cistern to collect the water and keep it covered so that debris wouldn't get in and the water would become contaminated. Uh, If you guys were following recently after Hurricane Sandy in New York and New Jersey, uh, they lost power, and that power was needed to pump water to the residents. And so there were people that lived in these high-rise apartment buildings that were lugging gallon jugs upstairs, uh, you know, no power, no elevators. And so they're hauling water up to their apartments. And, of course, that means they had no hot showers, no hot water, no power, etc. And in a uh, radio interview with one of the Manhattan residents, when the power came back on, he said the greatest relief was having water. Uh, And so then and now, uh, water is prized. And so in this verse, when it links this good news to cold water, it must have been something of significance. So what is the most significant message that we can deliver today or share? And I would submit that it's the good news of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. So when we share the gospel the good news of how he works in our lives and, and what he's done for us, we refresh souls. And of course, where does that news come from? It comes from heaven, and heaven is indeed a distant land, just like the verse says. And the funny thing is, is even when we've come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, hearing that story is always still refreshing to our spirit, just like continuing to drink water. But there is an implied message in that first verse, and that is where does that good news come from? How is it delivered? So Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So who speaks that word? Well, God's holy and righteous people speak that good news. The righteous encourage others by sharing the gospel and by being holy, And holy is an interesting word because there's a lot of baggage attached to it, but let's just look at some definitions. Holy, recognized as sacred or consecrated. There's one. Another, dedicated to the service of God. Another, endowed with power or purity. And another is a state or realm understood to have a transformative effect on life and destiny. I like that last one. So the righteous are upright, they practice good works, they're set apart, and they're holy. And Paul, in one of his letters, confirmed that he was refreshed when he heard good news about the holy conduct of distant churches. So let's read Romans 16, verse 19. This is from Paul. For the report of your obedience has reached to all, Therefore, I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. More so, the lost are encouraged and restored when they hear and believe the good news of Jesus' atoning sacrifice and paying the sins, uh, the price for our sins by his death. And, of course, it didn't end there. He secured our eternal life when he rose from the grave. And so... 
uh, as we, the righteous, deliver the good news, we're called to be holy. And if you just think about brothers and sisters that you know in Christ, and we've all seen that, that transformative effect that their faith has as they grow in Christ's likeness. And I would submit that to see the beauty of Christianity, see a, a saint growing in Christ-likeness. It's a powerful thing. We had a friend, still have, fortunately, a friend uh, who until a few years ago, uh, he would describe his religious affiliation as pedestrian. Uh, that, that was his little joke. He was a, essentially an agnostic. And uh, his mother uh, was correcting his behavior one day. She was criticizing his lifestyle choices. And so uh, in defiance to her, he decided he would get out a Bible and he was going to read it and he was going to find every mistake in that Bible and he would throw those mistakes in her face and thereby silence her. Well, in, in <laughs> praise the Lord. And because instead of finding mistakes, he was convicted. And uh, when he believed, his life changed so dramatically. The people who knew him and, and were around him every day didn't really know what to think. And uh, it hasn't been that many years ago, but he is such a zealous student for the word uh, that today his knowledge of the scriptures actually exceeds most Christians that I know. And I'd have to say to my own uh, shame, more than me. And, and, but it's, it's a, a huge source of encouragement and inspiration to see the change that that's brought about in his life. Now, I do want to digress for just a moment because I want to be a source of encouragement to all of you. Uh, I'm not suggesting here that I expect every Christian to be a picture of perfection in that holy walk uh, because, folks, I'd fall far short if that were my intent. Um, I'm quite aware that all of us who are saved are on a journey in our holiness, and we're all in a different point in that continuum, but hopefully we're all continuing to grow and we never stop. Let's read 1 John 1, 9. The, the importance of this verse is that we're all steeped in sin. We all have faults. We're racked with those things, but we have a hope. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's our hope. Let's look at the explicit comparison of these two verses, and it's explicit in the word like. Like cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a distant land. Like a trampled spring and a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. So with that in mind, let's, let's look at that verse 26. So just like a, a putrid, rancid bog would uh, discourage and repel those who were seeking cold, clear water... Uh, so will those who are righteous deter others uh, when they compromise with the wicked and the evil that we have in the world. So again, kind of going back to the time that this was written, uh, when an enemy would attack a country and they would win, uh, or even in the process of attacking, they would destroy the water source for those inhabitants and they would trample their war horses through those springs and then just for good measure, they'd dump a dead body or two in there, and that water would, of course, become unclean and worthless. You couldn't use it for anything. And this is critical. 
When those in our Christian family backslide in their walk, it pollutes their testimony. It's disdainful to others. When Christians behave in an unholy fashion, it fouls our ability to deliver the good news of Jesus. And maybe just as sad, it shames and brings dishonor to those others who wear Christ's name. If we compromise our walk, we pollute our witness. If you wallow with the pigs, you're, uh, you're bound to get dirty. Now this, this dog doesn't look very unhappy about the condition he's in, but I'm guessing that if we went and hugged him, we wouldn't make the dog clean. Uh, we'd get dirty. So have you noticed that when you hang around a group of heathen non-believers, uh, they don't typically clean up their behavior because you're there. In fact, it, it might even affect you. And for example, uh, you're the words of your choice might deteriorate a bit. Uh, I've been guilty of that myself. And, uh, and sometimes I've seen that with my fellow Christians. When you're around a big group and they're just talking smack, it, it's easier to kind of go the wrong direction. But uh, I just warn you, be careful. You may want to kiss your mother with that same mouth. I want to tell you about a, a businessman that we knew in Grand Junction. And uh, n- not, not a happy story, but he was a man who claimed to be a Christian. I don't know his heart, so I'm going to assume that he was sincere. Uh, this man um, was very overt about his religious beliefs. He advertised as a Christian business. He had religious symbols on his sign. He had religious symbols on his building. And he used the religious talk as a regular part of his business practice. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those except this man was an embezzler. And he was fired for stealing money. And he went for work to work for another company. And within a year, he was fired again for the same thing. And uh, most of the people in, in town knew his reputation. He was openly reviled by many. And I was ashamed that non-Christians were using this man. They were pointing to him as justification for pouring derision upon Christians. And the funny part was the people that were the most vocal in criticizing him, uh, those non-Christians, knew that his behavior was unacceptable because it was indefensible, but especially for someone who claimed Christ. Let's read 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2. Again, this is... uh, in, uh, in support of this, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen, emphasis mine, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. So they have been chosen for obedience. So rightly does the world hold us as Christians to a higher standard. They should. Uh, We should look cleaner, purer. Uh, We should be more refreshing to be around than those who are not Christians. Uh, We are called to a higher standard. And the important thing is, though, that's willing obedience on our part. Nobody's forcing that. We should want that. And we should hold one another accountable uh, in our actions so that the world will not have any accusation to level against us. When we fail to expect holiness from each other, 
We should examine the gap between our love for the gospel and our love for godliness. Let's go take a last look at those two verses. And you can see here a uh, contrast that's implicit in the images of cold water and a polluted well. So good news from a distant land is like cold water. A righteous man who gives way before the wicked is a polluted well. So here's some takeaways for you. First, uh, I would hope that if you've not spent time reading wisdom literature in the Bible, uh, that you would just add that to your regular reading diet. Uh, the, the Proverbs are packed with wisdom, and the, the cool part about them is it's uh, insightful and it's applicable today, very much so. And in this verse, you can see Solomon had a timeless truth. He was wanting to share with Israel about good news and water in holes. Um, the good news is refreshing and bad living is disgusting. We have a great message in the gospel. And when we share it with the world, uh, if it's received, it will be a source of uh, life-giving refreshment. We need to guard that message by guarding our actions. We will be effective when the purity of our actions uh, reinforces the refreshing message of our words. Second Timothy 2.21 fits in very nicely with this idea. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So cleanse yourself of dishonorable behavior and you'll be... Uh, prepared for good works that are useful to God. Let your testimony be reinforced by the purity of your actions. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth you reveal to us in your word. It is timeless. It is poignant. It is useful. And it does not return void. Father, thank you for loving us enough not to leave us in a lost state. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to save us and giving us the honor of sharing that good news with others. Please strengthen us in order to live holy in the world, but not of the world. And give us wisdom to recognize opportunity and courage to share the message with those around us. Father, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would those men who are preparing communion come forth now?